You are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's reading with other listeners and followers, I invite you to head over to Facebook and to find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group where you can interact with other individuals and share your own thoughts and reflections about today's reading. Now, let us thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 160, and we are reading from Volume 2, Book 4, Chapter 15, Paragraphs 540 to 546. Chapter 15. The Most Holy Mary remains in the portal of the Nativity until the coming of the Magi Kings. 540. By the infused knowledge of Holy Scriptures and her high supernatural enlightenment, our great Queen knew that the Magi Kings of the Orient would come to acknowledge and adore her Most Holy Son, as their true God. She was aware of it, also, more particularly, because an angel had been sent to them to announce the birth of the Incarnate Word, as mentioned in chapter 2nd, and the Virgin Mother was not ignorant of this message. St. Joseph had no foreknowledge of these mysteries, because they had not been revealed to him, nor had his most prudent spouse informed him of this secret. In all things, she was the most wise and discreet, awaiting the sweet and timely disposition to the divine providence. Wisdom 8.1 After the circumcision, the Holy Spouse suggested to the mistress of heaven that they leave their poor and forsaken habitation on account of the insufficient shelter which it afforded the divine infant to her, for it would now be possible to find lodging in Bethlehem, where they could remain until after presenting the child in the temple of Jerusalem. This proposal of the most faithful spouse arose from his solicitude and anxiety, lest the child and the mother should want that comfort and convenience which it was possible for their poverty to procure. But he left it all to the disposition of his heavenly spouse. 541. Without revealing the mystery, the humble queen answered, My spouse and master, I resign myself to thy will, and whatever thou wishest to go, I will follow with great pleasure. Arrange it as thou pleasest. The heavenly lady had an affection for the cave on account of its humbleness and poverty, and because of the incarnate word had consecrated it by the mysteries of his nativity and circumcision, and was to hallow it by the mystery of the Magi's visit, although she did not know at what time that would happen. This was a most pious affection, full of devotion and reverence, Yet she preferred to give an example of the highest perfection in all things. She considered it more important to resign and submit to St. Joseph, letting her spouse decide what was to be done. 
While they were thus conferring with each other, the Lord himself informed them through the two celestial princes, Michael and Gabriel, who were attending in corporeal forms to the service of their Lord and God and of their great queen. They spoke to Mary and Joseph, saying, Divine providence has ordained that the three kings of the earth, coming from the Orient in search of the king of heaven, should adore the divine word in this very place. Psalm 71.6 They are already ten days on the way, for at the hour of the birth of Jesus they were informed of it, and they immediately set out on their journey. Therefore they will shortly arrive, fulfilling all that the prophets had from the very ancient times foreknown and foretold. 5.42 By this announcement, St. Joseph was instructed on his part concerning the will of the Lord. And Mary, his most chaste spouse, said to him, My master, this place, chosen by the Most High for such magnificent mysteries, although it is poor and ill-furnished in the eyes of the world, in the sight of eternal wisdom, is rich, precious, the most estimable and preferable on this earth, since the Lord of heaven is satisfied with it and has consecrated it by his presence. He who is the true land of promise can favor us with his vision in this place. And if it is his pleasure, he will afford us some protection and shelter against the inclemencies of the weather during the few days in which we are to stay here. St. Joseph was much consoled and encouraged by these words of the most prudent queen. He answered her that, since the divine child was to fulfill the law, which required him to be presented in the temple, just as he had subjected himself to the law of the circumcision, they could remain in the sacred place until that day should arrive, without first undertaking the distant and wearisome journey to Nazareth during the inclement weather. If, perhaps, the severity of the season would compel them to seek shelter in the city, they should easily do so, since from Bethlehem to Jerusalem there is only a distance of two hours. 5.43 In all these matters the Most Holy Mary conformed herself to the will of her watchful spouse, for she knew his solicitude for the sacred tabernacle which was confided to his care, and which was more holy and venerable than the Holy of Holies in the temple. Awaiting the time when her only begotten should be presented in the temple, she was unremitting in her care of him, lest she forget anything necessary to protect him against the cold and the roughness of the weather. She also prepared the cave for the arrival of the kings, cleaning it once more and arranging it anew, as far as the rudeness and destitution of the place allowed. But her greatest attention and care was always reserved for the child itself, bearing it in her arms continually unless absolute necessity demanded otherwise. Besides all this, she made use of her power as queen of all creation. Whenever the rigors of winter rose to excess, for she commanded the frost and the winds, the snow and the ice, not to incommode their creator, and to spend their elemental fury and asperity upon her person alone. The heavenly queen gave her commands as follows. Restrain your wrath before your creator, author, lord, and preserver, who has called you into existence and given you strength and activity. Be mindful, creatures of my beloved, that you are furnished with rigor on account of sin for the chastisement of the disobedience of the first Adam and his progeny. But with the second Adam, who comes to repair this fall and cannot have any part therein, you must be courteous, reverencing, and not offending him, to whom you owe worship and subjection. And therefore I command you to his name, to no cause, no inconvenience, or displeasure to him. 544. It is worthy of our admiration and imitation to notice the ready obedience of the irrational creatures to the divine will. 
intimated to them by the mother of God. For upon her command the snow and rain approached, no nearer than ten yards. The winds stopped short, and the surrounding air retained a mild temperature. To this miracle was added another, at the same time in which the divine infant in her arms received this homage of the elements, and was protected from their asperity. The virgin mother felt and suffered the cold and inclemency of the weather, as if it were exerting all its natural influences in that place. In this they obeyed the loving mother and sovereign mistress of creatures in the letter, as she wished not to exempt herself from their asperity, while she prevented her tender child and her God from suffering under it. St. Joseph enjoyed the same privilege as the sweet infant. He noticed the favorable change of the temperature, without knowing that it was due to the commands of his heavenly spouse, and an effect of her power, for she had not manifested to him this privilege, because she had no command to that effect from the Most High. 545. As to the order and manner in which the Grace Queen nourished her child Jesus, it is to be remarked that she offered him her virginal milk three times a day, and always with such reverence that she asked his permission beforehand and his pardon for the indignity, considering herself and acknowledging herself unworthy of such a privilege. Many, many times, while holding him in her arms, she was on her knees adoring him, and if at any time it was necessary to seat herself, she always asked his permission. With the same tokens of reverence, she handed him to St. Joseph and received him from his arms, as I have said above. Many times she kissed his feet, and when she wished to kiss his face, she interiorly asked his benevolent consent. The sweetest child returned their caresses of his mother, not only by the expression of pleasure in his countenance, which was at the same time full of majesty, but also by other actions usual in children. In him, however, they were accompanied by a severe deliberation. The most ordinary token of his love was to recline sweetly upon the breast of the most pure mother, or upon her shoulder, encircling her neck with his divine arms. These caresses the Empress Mary met with so much attention and discretion that she neither petulantly sought them as other mothers, nor too timidly withdrew from them. In all these things she behaved most perfectly and prudently without defect or excess of any kind. The more openly and affectionately her most holy son manifested his love toward her, so much the more deeply did she humiliate herself, and so much the greater was her reverence in the same manner. She gauged also the tokens of her affection, and lent new glory to her magnanimity. 546. There was an interchange of caresses of another kind between the infant and his mother, for besides understanding by divine enlightenment all the interior acts of the most holy soul of her only begotten, as I have already stated, 481, 534, it often happened that holding him in her arms, she was privileged to see through his humanity as through a crystal casement, thus perceiving the hypostatic union of the Son of God with his human nature, and witnessing the activity of his soul in interceding with the Eternal Father for the human race. These operations and intercessions the Heavenly Lady faithfully imitated, being entirely absorbed and transformed in her Divine Son. His Majesty on his part looked upon her with new accidental joy and delight, regaling himself in the purity of this creature, rejoicing that he had created her, and that his becoming man had resulted in such a living image of his divinity and humanity. In regard to this mystery, the words of the soldiers of Holofernes, when they beheld the beauty of Judith in the camp of Bethulia, occurred to me. Who can despise the people of the Hebrews who have such beautiful women? 
Shall we not think it worth our while for their sakes to fight against them? This saying seemed to be mysteriously realized in the incarnate word, since he, with greater cause, could address them to his eternal Father, and to all the rest of the creatures, who shall fail to see that my coming from heaven and assuming flesh is fully justified, since by coming upon the earth and dethroning the demon, the world and the flesh, and by conquering and vanquishing them, such a woman is called into existence, as is my mother among the children of Adam. O sweetest love, essence of my virtue, life of my soul, most loving Jesus, behold and see that most holy Mary, by herself, possesses such immense beauty, as exceeds that of all the human race. She is the only and chosen one. Canticle 6.8 So perfectly pleasing to thee my Lord and my God, that she not only equals but far surpasses all the rest of thy people, and that she alone compensates God for all the wickedness of the race of Adam. This concludes our reading today for day number 160. We have read from volume 2, book 4, chapter 15, paragraphs 540 to 546. One of the things that I marvel at as a pilgrim that has been to the Holy Land is the fact that all these places where the Son of God hallowed the ground, where Jesus was born, where he was crucified, where he was buried, that all of these places are now held in such great honor as they should be. But this cave that we hear about in our reading today that Jesus was born in, well, this cave had to be preserved. This cave had to be set aside so that one day that very spot would become a place for our veneration. And then you wonder, well, who took care of this place? How did people know not to profane it? How did people know it was a sacred spot? Maybe it was through the oral stories of the individuals of that area who knew Joseph and Mary, who witnessed the Christ child, I think of that song, O Come All Ye Faithful. Well, all the faithful come joyful and triumphant. And so maybe that story spreads of Jesus' birth. And anytime someone walked by or someone passed by that cave, they retold the story. And that's how it becomes a sacred place. That's how this place is reserved we hear today that Joseph would like to move the Holy Family from this spot to another place. I'm not sure if it will happen. It seems that right now, Mary, who he leaves it up to, is perfectly content by staying at the cave. But in the scriptures, it says that when the three kings come, they enter a house. So this wouldn't qualify as a house. One would then think that they do make this eventual move so that... They protect Mary, they protect the child from the elements and so forth, that there's greater safety, and that Joseph can have greater peace of mind. Maybe today in your personal prayer, transport yourself to Bethlehem and imagine what it was like for Joseph and Mary in those first few days and weeks after the Nativity of Jesus. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria Vagrida. I'm grateful that you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.